Thank you all, as always, for being here. Uh, we are, again, moving toward the conclusion of the series, but we still have several more weeks. Our plan, after talking about it a little bit more, was to spend three weeks on the P, perseverance of the saints and eternal security. And then uh, we also plan to have one final concluding week. I think this is October, the beginning of October, first Sunday of October, maybe is it the first or second or something? Yeah. Uh, we would like to maybe summarize some of what we talked about in the series. And also, I don't know that we've had a good opportunity for this, but if you have any questions about things that we've talked about in this series, and my goodness, we all have a thousand questions about what we've talked about in this series, uh, you, can, uh, you can email any of the elders, you can text, uh, send it to Jerry Edgar, uh, <laughs> you, can, you can email or text or you can send uh, messages in however you would like, but uh, we would love to compile a few questions if you have about anything in this issue. You can email it or text it in to any of us, and uh, we could try to talk about some of those on that last week. But uh, so again, counting today, we have four more Sundays, uh, and then we'll be, we'll be moving on. Uh, a quick word about what's coming next. I don't think we've really said anything about this. Jerry, can you say what you're going to be doing starting on October 8th, I think it is? Yeah, Lord willing, we'll be uh, going through the book of Esther. We'll be in the um, choir room, and uh, really looking forward to that, probably from that second week of October, probably through Christmas or New Year's, that kind of the plan. And you'll be in there with who? Well, for sure, Papa. <laughs> yeah, we're counting on Papa on that one, and then um, some various, and, and Scott, uh, hopefully, um, a lot of the time there, Scott's busy also through that time, and, um, and then maybe some other guys as well. Awesome. And then uh, Greg and I will be in here, and we'll be doing a series on, what, I'm just putting you on the spot, Greg, what's our series going to be on? Well, it's going to be on how to study the Bible, how to piece it together, hermeneutics, and the covenants, and how we need to understand uh, those things and how they shape the gospel, how they shape our interpretation of the Bible, how they shape our understanding of Jesus and all that God is doing in history. So it's going to be, it's going to be different, but it's going to be fun, I think. Yeah. So kind of how to put our whole Bible together yes. in light of God's covenants and things of that yeah. nature. So uh, Jerry, can you pray for us and then yes, we'll sir. jump in? Father, what a joy as we uh, come before your throne of grace um, to know the security that we have in Christ. And uh, Lord, that that um, started before the beginning of time in only a way that you could um, understand when you foreknew and then um, predestined and called and now justified. And then someday soon we'll be glorified and uh, a day we long for, which um, will never end. Lord, that is fascinating to our minds um, above our thinking, but we know that um, you have perfectly um, planted and we are secure in your hand. Thank you, Lord, that you have us in your loving right hand and uh, that you're not going to let us go. So I guess it would be my prayer today, Father, that um, for everyone in here who has already known you, that they would um, be more secure than ever before, um, that they would not doubt, but that they would uh, trust you with this salvation that you are, um, that the Lord Jesus uh, began in, in the finisher um, of, of their faith. And then, Father, for anyone in here who has yet to know the Savior or is listening, uh, that this would be the day where they see their need for you and they would race to the cross to know Christ. And so we commit this time to you. Thank you for this um, just, uh, fantastic topic to talk about and think about. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So go ahead and turn to Romans 8. We may have already said that, but go, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. I know we've been in these kinds of chapters a lot, but we are going to be looking at a slightly different angle on these same truths that we've covered over these weeks. And uh, Scott, some opening comments here? 
Yeah, just, I just thought I would say something. At the beginning, uh, on this topic, Providence, uh, we've talked about it for months. I know I've missed a bunch of these, but tried to catch up on, on them, haven't listened to all of them. But I would just say, I know we've talked about this at the beginning. I think I was reading, I think it was J.C. Ryle recently, he talked about this term Providence, and he just said, it's fallen out of usage. And this is a couple hundred years ago in, in our churches. People just don't talk about it. He said, we should bring it back, talk about it. It should just be regularly on Christians' lips. I think in the United States, how many churches this word is brought up? I and mean, it's got to be the minority. And I just thought, I'm so thankful that we're going through this topic and how this is going to be brought up in regular conversation again and again and again. But I just think this topic is so practical. I mean, so, so practical. I mean, a few months ago, dealing with something, sort of an inconvenience in my life, and I remember talking to my dad about this, this particular issue. And my dad was like, you guys have been studying Providence right now. <laughs> and you're so, this is a chance to like put it into practice. And I just thought, it's so true. You can put it into practice. So it's like the, the suffering... Well, I, mean, I would just say the Elizabeth Elliot quote that I've mentioned before, God is always doing something, the very best thing, the thing we would most certainly choose if we knew the end from the beginning, he's at work to bring us to full glory. I mean, that's the idea. If that is in our bloodstream, if that's sort of in the back of our minds, always, like always, and I hope this, if that's happened from this class, this class has been a success. I know mm-hmm. you all talked about all kinds of stuff, but just thinking that, going into, into, it gives us stability when trials come, but it should give us deep thanksgiving and joy when, when good things happen. So I just think even today, or last night, Michael's sick. He's got his ear, his ears hurting. He's complaining. He's got fever. It's like, you don't want to deal with this. You know, at, at night, you, you take the med- you give him the medicine. You pray with him, tell him you love him. We're going to go to the doctor. Today, got to go to the store to get medicine. Got to go to the doctor and got to come back to the doctor. And the whole thing, it's like, this is not how I envisioned my Sunday to go. But this is, again, in the back of my mind, providence of God is there. And I know that God is using this to conform me to the image of his son. and just should give me great thanksgiving and humility. But it's not only that. It's like, Olivia and I are getting married, and it's like, what a sweet season. We have incredible days of joy, and God is at work through that too. And so this topic just should get into our bloodstream, produce deep steadfastness and trust in God and thanksgiving. So I just hope it's, it's entered into our bloodstream. What a practical doctrine. It has to be yeah. key for, the, for having joy in the midst of trials, doesn't it, Scott? Otherwise, oh, yeah. I think without that, there, the joy is really hard to, to come by. Mm-hmm. But joy is flooded there when we remember that. It's a great truth. Oh, yeah, indeed. So Romans chapter 8, I know these verses are going to be familiar to us, but again, on this topic, I just don't know that you can get a lot better text than, than some of these that we're looking at today. Uh, Romans 8, and I, again, these are familiar, but we need to read them again in light of eternal security. And before, I'm almost getting ahead of myself again. Before I read this, here is the debate today. I think it is the least controversial of the five points of the tulip, probably. And uh, this is the idea that if you are truly converted to faith in Christ, if you have been born again by God's Spirit, if you have truly repented of sin and put your trust in Christ for salvation and He has transformed your life, we are going to argue that it is impossible that a person who's been truly saved to lose his or her salvation, uh, to become unborn again, or to become unjustified, or to become unelect, or unpredestined, or on and on it goes. We believe that anyone who is truly converted at this moment will persevere faithfully to the end, not, not in perfection, but in the direction of their life, and when they die, they will be taken by Christ into glory. And we believe that anyone who appears to be converted and later falls away and rejects the faith or falls into unrepentant sin and absolutely refuses to change, that person, we would argue, has never truly known the Lord Jesus. They may look like it. They may have tricked you and me into believing, right? We've all known people we thought were Christians, and then their life bears witness later that they did not truly know the Lord. And we're going to argue not that they lost their salvation, but that they never truly knew Christ in the first place. And I know that there's a lot of texts on this, and there's a ton of texts on this, and that's why we have three weeks to talk about it. 
But uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Romans 8, starting in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be uh, the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, Jerry, just starting here, we, we, there's a lot more to come here, but just what is this telling us about eternal security? Yeah, from eternity past to eternity future, um, God has been in control, I think is what it, what it says. This isn't our doing. God has done this, and um, if you were foreknown, the exact same number of people are then predestined. That number are called. That same number, the elect, are then justified. And then everybody that's justified, and I don't know how you could uh, argue otherwise, uh, especially from this passage, will be glorified, will someday be in heaven for eternity with the Lord Jesus. And so uh, the very clear text um, on eternal security. Greg, thoughts on Romans 8 and what it's saying about this? Um, can I back up just one yeah. verse? Uh, something hit me. Um, and it was just, it hit me while you were reading and you didn't even read this verse, but I, w- I want to make sure I, I, I mentioned this while I'm thinking about it. Verse 28, we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. Let mm. me just think about the implications of that for eternal security. That means God is so in control of all our circumstances that nothing will come our way that could ultimately lead us away from Christ. I mean, that's encouraging to think about because we're going to go through some really hard, difficult stuff. But the promise of that is if God will ensure that everything works together for good for his people, then that means no trial can come that can lead us away from Christ ultimately. I mean, there's a lot more we could say on that, but like that, that just hit me. I was like, that's, that's another foundation here. Um, but going to, to, uh, to verse 29 and 30, I mean... Our eternal security is rooted in the eternal purpose of God, to save a people for himself through Christ. And we go back to that word foreknowledge that we talked about so long ago, where it's more than just God knowing in advance what's going to happen, but it's actually God in love choosing to, to, to set his, his heart, his love, his affection on a specific people. Uh, he foreknew them. It's a relational, intimate knowledge that God has here uh, that goes beyond just cognitive awareness. So you think about this. If God foreknew you, set his love on you, you know, before the creation of the world, and then because he'd set his love on you, he predestined you and me to become like Jesus, okay? So he set his love on us. He's marked out ahead of time that everyone he set his love on is gonna become like Jesus. You get to the next one, those whom he predestined, he called. And again, thinking about the effectual call here, the, the people he's talking about are the same. Um, and so he called means he brought to life, producing faith. Those whom he called, he justified, declared righteous. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. I mean, from beginning to end, like if, if God chose you to be his, like you are secure. Even before you become a Christian, in, in terms of God's plan, it can't be otherwise than what God has determined it to be. And it reminds me of Jeremiah 31. You, you know this verse. Uh, the Lord says, I, this is Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Remember this verse? I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now listen to the logic. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
Therefore, I'm going to continue to be faithful to you. And I heard one commentator said, uh, I'll probably butcher the wording, but the commentator said, the greatest argument that God will never cease to love you, he'll never stop loving you, is that he never started to love you. He loved you with an everlasting love. For all of eternity, he chose you in Christ. For all of eternity, he foreknew you. For all of eternity, he had a plan to save you. You think God's going to give up on you now? (laughs) No. Like those who truly know the Lord, God has loved you from all of eternity past. Within the Trinitarian uh, commitment there, between the Father and the Son, God is never going to cease to love you now. And so I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. If God has predestined us, he will justify and ultimately glorify us. Yeah, and I think, Scott, the way you talked it with the earache and... Um, Greg, what you're saying about good here, good means just that. We can't misinterpret the good in verse 28, that that is to conform us to the image of Christ. And so that will carry on through the trials, through the what we call good days. They're all really good days in God's um, agenda, in his perspective, because they're all making us more like the Lord Jesus, which is ultimately what we want, even more than comfortable. Verse 31 of Romans 8, what, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This goes back to the intercession of Christ, his priestly work. If Jesus is interceding as your priest, will his prayers prove successful? Yes. When he prays for your endurance in in, in the faith in Christ, his prayers will be met with success. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So this is the very question Paul is asking. How can we be separated from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, listen to this, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I am sure, what a great, God wants us to be sure here. We, don't, we shouldn't be iffy about this because God's for us. It's not, I mean, MacArthur says that word could better be translated since God is for us. God's for us. The Holy Spirit's interceding for us in 26. Jesus is interceding for us in verse um, 34. God always answers yes to that intercession, which means to make us more like Christ. It's a closed case that we will become more like Christ until we go to heaven and that'll be free for eternity. I would just say, I mean, this is obvious, but it's like it should be worship-inducing. I mean, this is mm. obvious. I mean, theology leads to doxology. I say it over and over again, but I mean, especially this topic. Just study, just Jerry, when you were talking just a second ago, it just, oh, it just hits you afresh. Like, verse 30, those whom he predestined were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He never stopped loving them. I mean, that's humbling, just, just that itself you, you could focus in on. He also called, like in time, like Lazarus out of the tomb. That's me at 23. Scott, come forth. He called you like he saved you. We have rebelled against God. We dishonored him, belittled his glory. He had his love on us. He called me out of, out of the tomb, as it were. 
and then he justified me, declared me righteous in God's sight, and yet I, you know, I deserve his condemnation, and yet he's covered me in the blood of Jesus. And then it's so certain that it's like present tense glorified. It's already there. I mean, this is incredible mm-hmm. that this holy God is doing this, and no one can snatch us out. We'll get to John 10, but no one can snatch us out of his hand. What comfort, what worship should be produced? Yeah, that's just obvious. But um, It's important to, like, we read this, and it, it is precious truth to us, um, and even if folks aren't fully convinced of all that we've been saying, like most, most Baptists at least, um, and a lot of evangelicals will hold to the fact that the believer is truly secure. Um, and I'm, I'm happy for their inconsistency on this because they, they have a perspective a lot of times that argues the opposite on all the other doctrines we've been talking about, but this one. And it's one of those things, guys, the text is so clear that you have to deny reality in effect to deny what the text is saying. Like, you just have to. Like, it is so clear that a genuine believer cannot be lost um, that, that you, you really would just have to cut out parts of Scripture because you cannot get around what it's saying. Uh, but also I want to mention, like, because remember, we're doing this somewhat in opposition to the Arminian perspective. And the Arminian perspective that we mentioned, um, their fifth point uh, in the remonstrance that they had against the Reformed churches, it had to do with this doctrine of perseverance and the potential of a true believer falling away, forfeiting the salvation that they genuinely had. Uh, they weren't 100% sure that a believer uh, either would or wouldn't keep that salvation. Um, some of them today go further, I think, than the original Arminians did, and they say, yes, a believer can genuinely fall away. You see that with free will Baptists and stuff like that. And what you have to do to substantiate that, like at least they're consistent with their, their, their overall uh, approach to this, is you have to come into this rock-solid, unbreakable, inseparable argument that Paul's making in terms of the beginning and end of our salvation and how nothing in the middle can disrupt what God planned, can undo what he's done. And you have to say, when Paul says, you know, who is to condemn? Uh, shall this separate us from the love of God? Say, well, none of that can, but I could. You know, and it, but they're being consistent with their doctrine of free will. Because if it is ultimately up to us to get in, then we can choose ourselves out as well. We can. We can make a decision at some point based on everything that's going on, and we can choose ourselves out of the kingdom, out of eternal life, out of heaven. Now, we should recoil at that and say, no genuine believer would ever want to do that, but they actually believe that's possible. Um, but again, you have to go against the logic of the text. You know, reformed folks were often accused, oh, you're just pressing your logic onto the text of Scripture. No, we're following the logic that Scripture gives us. You can't break into this with anything and say, oh, well, you know, Jesus might be interceding. Uh, You know, um, we're more than conquerors. You know, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord except ourselves. Um, And this goes back to the quote that we've mentioned multiple times from John MacArthur. He said, if I could lose my salvation, I would. I mean, God's preserving us includes those moments when we are weak, when we are struggling, when we have a difficult time trusting in the Lord, when circumstances are such that, you know, we wonder, you know, how am I going to make it through this? How can I trust God? I mean, Christians, we, in, in those dark moments, we ask questions that we wouldn't ask normally, you know, about is God trustworthy? Why is this happening to me? Is God good? God's promise of preservation and eternal security encompasses those moments too. So that even at our darkest 
points and our weakest points, he is going to ensure that will not be the end of our faith. Man, praise God for that. Praise God for that. Because here's the thing. If, if it weren't for that promise, none of us would have any security whatsoever. None. And I think adding to your point there, Greg, uh, nothing else in all creation, that includes us. Yeah. So nothing else in all creation, including ourselves, could separate. Um, could we have a point of application here? I really think that if you are struggling with doubt, or whoever struggles with doubt, and that's surely most of us to some degree. Verse 16 back in Romans 8, um, I think it's a great comfort that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Um, and, and so if we're children, then we're heirs. But the idea is here, the Holy Spirit will convince you. And don't you think, guys, that it's mostly through Scripture? So I guess I would plead with you through any sort of doubt, go to Romans 8, go to 1 John, go to Scripture, and bathe yourself in Romans 8. Read it every day. And, and I think if, if you weren't a believer, got, the Holy Spirit will convince you of that because he's the one that convinces us that we need a Savior. If you are, he will bear witness with your spirit and you'll feel more and more peace about the true salvation that you truly have. That's good. So let's turn to John 10, to our left here, John chapter 10. And I know we're going back to the Good Shepherd section, but again, on this topic, I think there's a lot of clarity in, in this text. Let's uh, we'll just read a couple of snippets here. Let's start in verse 14 of uh, John chapter 10. Jesus says this, John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, even here, do you see the certainty of this particular group that he died to save, the particular group that will be saved? Uh, they'll be brought together in one flock. Then skip down to verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, uh, how long will you keep us in suspense? Uh, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, uh, I told you, uh, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among uh, my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Uh, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, just looking back here at verse 27, 28, uh, I think that the strongest argument, and y'all have alluded to this already, the strongest argument against this text that people use, and I've heard people say these, something like this, they'll say, okay, no one can snatch me out of the Father's hand, but it doesn't say I can't jump out of the Father's hand. That's why I've heard that argument. Okay, so the Father holds me. No one else can get me out of the hand, but if I choose, I can jump out of the Father's hand. And, okay, let's look at this in context and see if that works. Real quick, just, just look at this again. You see what happens here in this verse? My sheep, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. So that's all of his sheep that he died for. None of them are ever gonna perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Clearly, if we cannot perish, we also cannot jump out of his hand. The father chose a group to give to the son before eternity. It's the sheep. Jesus came as the good shepherd to die for the sheep. 
He died in a way to secure the salvation of all of his sheep in particular. And he says, uh, just, just to switch in context in John 6, I will lose none of all of them. So Jesus is clearly saying, no, that you can't jump out. The whole point is God secures us by making us willing to believe and just continue trusting him. Uh, it reminds me of Jeremiah 32, or is it 31, or is it 33? <laughs> in those texts, it says, I will put the fear of me in your heart that you will not turn away from me. So God can ultimately say, no, I'm going to put the fear of me in your heart so that you will not choose to jump out of the hand. I'm going to secure you by giving you the fear so that you will not choose to turn away. So thoughts on this text? Yes, God, I want to hear this, this again causes us to worship, right? Mm -hmm. This John oh. 10 passage is so glorious. Oh, for sure. I mean, when I, Mark was talking about this, doing this Sunday school, Perseverance of the Saints, the P, I just thought it's such a comforting doctrine. Mm -hmm. And talking about maybe just focusing on that this time, but I think of John 10, and this particular passage is so comforting. And I've used this illustration before, but I think R.C. Sproul is the first one that told it. He said, a, a father walking with their son, holding his son's hand. I mean, this is fresh in my mind. I was thinking about this on Friday at Westminster. They had donuts with dad. And so I got to go with Michael and we got to park in the parking lot. We got to walk over there across the bridge, you know, holding his hand. He's holding my hand. We're across the bridge, the sidewalk inside, sit at his table. Like, oh, what a great, what a great idea. Whoever came up with that at, at Westminster and donuts with dad. Great. But as I'm walking, I'm, I'm thinking about this illustration that Sproul told father and son holding hands. He, he said by like a, like a train, this fast moving train comes, comes racing by They're right by the train tracks. And he said, the son is secure because of his grip on the father or the father's grip on the son. Well, it's, it's obviously not my son's four. He's got a strong grip, but it's not, that's not what's going to be secure him next to a train. It's going to be my grip on him. That's how he's secure next to this, the danger of this train. Well, how much more true is it that God, like he says, Jesus holds us, God, the father holds us. Uh, one pastor said we're double gripped by God, the father and God, the son. No one, no one can say, it. I mean, it's just so incredible. I mean, just it blows your mind. Just focusing on that again will produce worship when you think, what comfort this should bring to me in my life. He, he saved me. He's called me. And now he's holding me. Nothing's going get, to get us out of his hands. He's going to bring me to glory. And so like Piper just talked about, like, we shouldn't walk through life like, oh, poor me, more, poor Christian. Like, we should like walk with our head held high. Yes, we should walk with humility. But man, what confidence, what comfort, what, what joy and worship should be regularly on us when we think about this doctrine that God holds us and Jesus holds me and no one can, can snatch us out. Call it the no snatching rule. <laughs> there's no snatching. Once you're in there, and once God has you, there's no snatching you. And that just is, that's just so thrilling. Because once again, man, going back to whichever you guys said, the MacArthur quote, you know how we are prone to wonder, you know, I, at least I am. But he's holding us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, and he is not letting us go. One, one, one more quick thing on that. Piper just said, he goes to bed at night. He's a Christian. He said, you wake up and your mind goes all, all these ways. He says, why am I still a Christian in the morning? He said, because God kept me. God kept me. And uh, it's the song we sing here, like, he will hold me fast. I and mean, we should sing that out like strongly. He is going to. He will hold me fast. That's John 10. He's going to keep me. And so we won't say his name right now, but there was this guy in, our, in the choir growing up at our, my dad's church, and he would sit up in the top corner of the choir, of the choir loft in the back of Faith Presbyterian behind the pulpit. And uh, in Christ alone, every single time, the last line, no power of hell, no, no scheme, scheme of man, man can ever pluck me from his hand. Uh, and the way he, he believed that doctrine so deeply, he would sing it with such passion. I mean, it's burned into my memory as a child. Like the, the, the look on his face every time we sung that song from the corner, uh, just, he just gloried in it. He, just, he gloried in the fact that I am eternally secure, not because I'm so great, but because God is so faithful. That, that, that's the reason why I, I know that I can trust that he will, he will hold, hold on to me no matter Isn't what. Isn't that the great part of it? Nothing to do with us here. That it's, now, we should be faithful, but we're just not like we ought to be. And so there's everything to do 
with God, which is what makes this so secure. All right, let's, uh, there's just a couple quick ones here. You can turn or look at the screen, but Philippians 1.6, we can't uh, ignore a verse like this one. Um, Paul says, for I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And again, the good work here would be conversion, regeneration, becoming a Christian. If God began that work by bringing you to faith in Christ, God is not going to leave you halfway an orphaned. He's not going to do that. Uh, God is going, if God has adopted you into his family, he is never going to disown you. He's never going to let go of you. He's never going to give up on you. He's never going to say, well, you frustrated me with your sin yet again. I'm done with you. God does not do that with his own. Uh, instead, God bears with us. God is patient. God is compassionate. God is tender. He knows we are frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows we are weak. He knows we are frail. He knows we are prone, as you said, to wander and to sin even. But he knows in the end, he is going to draw us back and, and hold us fast, fast. And he's going to ultimately bring our salvation to its full, complete state of glory uh, on the day of Jesus Christ when we are resurrected with him. Thoughts on this? This is a great verse. It is a great verse. And I think of, of Papa reminding us often of how God will discipline us instead of leaving us just like we would our children. We're not going to say, well, you're not my child anymore. Because you sin 37 times today, no. We're going to instead discipline them and, and, and convince them of another way. And God's perfect in the way he disciplines us, uh, especially Hebrews 12 there. We want to say, too, with this, um, on verse 6, the fact that he begins it at a certain point, he completes it when Jesus returns. You know, I think that that's helpful for us to be set up for a life of growth. And a, and, a, and a right expectation on ourselves that we are not going to get perfect. We're not going to be perfect until Jesus comes back, um, which means we always have room to grow. We always have things we still have to learn. No matter how long we walk with Jesus, no matter how successful of a Christian life we've lived, the completion isn't yet. It's still to come. And so, like, in terms of the doctrine of perse perseverance, I know we're going to get to this next week, but, you know, one sense, if God says he's going to complete it, then he's, you know, Jesus said, I'll be with you till the end of the age. So he's going to be with us from the beginning to the end um, in that growth process as we stumble forward, you know, over time, becoming more and more like Jesus. But it, it, it's, we have a life to live of seeking God, uh, pursuing him, um, and, and, you know, learning to trust in his promises more, learning to, to rely on him and, and learn more and more how faithful he is, you know, perseverance and, and not losing salvation. Like, hopefully, if we've walked with Jesus for, for 10 years, we get that at a, to a certain extent. But after 20 years, hopefully, we get that and understand it and lean into it more than we did 10 years ago. And so there's always more. There's deeper we can go into this. Um, which only increases our assurance. It only increases our joy. It only increases our confidence in God because, again, it's not dependent on us. And the more we walk with him, um, you know, the more we see, I, I, there's no way I could do this on my own. Um, but we learn, say, you know, I, I, I might not have the words for it, but God's going to see me through because he said he started it, he's going to complete it, and if he's promised to complete it, he's going to see me through to the end so that it'll be completed. Yeah, just, I love the certainty of Philippians 1.6. I mean, it's probably pretty easy just to memorize this in terms of you think about the P, the, the, this verse, and I'm sure, like Paul's, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, and there's no like he might, maybe, no, it's he will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Again, what comfort, and I, I was going to say this earlier, but uh, Elizabeth Elliot 
godly woman, mentioned her many times, but the, towards the end of her life, maybe 10 or 12 years before she died, she got dementia. She mm. was speaking and she forgot things and she realized something was wrong. And so then she couldn't speak anymore because she was forgetting too many things. And then just, she really degraded over those last se several, several years. I don't even know if she recognized people. I saw a picture of her at the end of her life. She just does not look good at all. But we can be certain, even though she doesn't even know her husband's mm -hmm. name, we can be sure that God who began this good work will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ so that when she died, I am absolutely sure that she heard Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, even though she maybe didn't say a word. For years, she maybe didn't speak, but we can be absolutely assured if it's a genuine Christian, God is going to carry them all the way to the end, no matter what they may be going through, no matter where their mind is, God's going to bring it. And what comfort, even if we have relatives, we know they're Christians, but man, they're, they're deteriorating. We know God's going to keep them. Yeah, the Philippians 1, 6, be sure of this, was like that, um, Romans 8, 38. I am convinced. Paul is as sure and convinced as he could be. And if anybody had a temptation to be condemned, Paul used to kill Christians for a living. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus from Romans 8, 1. And, and Paul was convinced not because of anything he was doing or anything that he had done, but because he knew that God holds us in his loving right hand. I mean, I, I got asked, it's funny you say this, because I got asked a few weeks ago at the beginning of the school year by a student, uh, I do questions on certain Fridays. So I got asked about, I think a grandparent had had Alzheimer's or something, and at the end of their life, they didn't know who Jesus was, they didn't know their family was. And the question was, did my grandfather like endure, was he still a Christian? Because he died in that state. And I, I totally agree with you, that when, when, when we have something out of our control, a physical issue like this, that's, our, our mind is just not what it once was, the Lord is faithful to hold his own on to the end. Even if we don't even know at that point, because of our mind, who our own family members are, the Lord is still gonna be faithful to hold us on and to carry us through to glory. Uh, Greg mentioned this text just the other day, or maybe just, I don't remember if it was today or the other day, oh, but nice. Hebrews 12 uh, on the screen, this is a good text also on this topic that I hadn't been thinking about. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, <clears throat> let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with, and here's the word endurance, right? The perseverance or endurance of the saints. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do this? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are called to endurance, that's true, but the God will see to it that he began our faith. He's the founder, he's the beginner, right? He's the starter. He will also be the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. Any, any other thoughts on this text? Well, yeah, this is, this is one of those texts, if, if we just linger there for a minute and look at the, the opposite perspective, the Arminian perspective that says you can lose your salvation, you know, you, and, and I know they, don't, they would not say this, but it is a, a real, legit conclusion from their perspective. If Jesus can fail, if, if, if we can lose our salvation, then he can begin this work and fail to complete it. And so what that is saying is Jesus is a failure. He's a big failure um, if he cannot ensure that what he begins in you, uh, he also finishes. And again, that, that, that I'm not trying to put words in their mouth, but if we can pull ourselves out of the grip of God, if we can choose our way out of eternal life, then that's basically what we're saying. Jesus started this work, but he is powerless to finish it. Um, and Jesus is a big failure. Now, in their better moments, they won't say that. They, they, don't, they won't like that language, but it is true nonetheless. Um, and nowhere, you know, going back to his making atonement, his intercessory work, 
um, and the certainty of what he's accomplished on the cross, it, it, is, it is impossible that we ever consider Jesus to have failed in anything that he undertook. Most important of all, our salvation. Like he never failed in that. He cannot fail in that. His work is perfect. It is finished. It is complete. We wait the consummation of it at his return, but there is not one thing that anyone can do to undo what Jesus has done. And if he begins that work, as, as the writer of Hebrews says, um, he's going to perfect it. He's going to finish it um, in us. And that means, again, that the faith that we have, however strong or weak, Jesus isn't going to let it completely snuff out, go away, be overcome. Um, no matter how dark or strong, the, no dark the times are, strong the, the, the struggles are, he's going to make sure that our faith is perfected in the end. Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, back to your left again. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we know that the Corinthian church had a lot of issues. And we also uh, know, I think, from what Paul says in chapter 11, some of the Corinthians were not actually Christians. Some of the members of the church were not actually born again. But for those who truly know the Lord in that church, Paul does have a pretty amazing thing to say, given the church's issues. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Paul says, I give thanks to my God uh, always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you await for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, here it is, the Lord Jesus Christ who will do what? Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that goes back to irresistible grace. God called you sovereignly to himself, and therefore he will remain faithful in not letting you fall away. And um, Tom Schreiner pointed this out, uh, his commentary on 1 Corinthians, I I, we were working through 1 Corinthians before COVID back in 2019, 2020, and um, Schreiner had this amazing point, and I want to look into this more as, as time goes by, but the phrase, God is faithful, he showed numerous texts in Paul where that specific phrase, God is faithful, is linked to eternal security explicitly. Hmm. Um, and it's also true, uh, let, let me show you another text. If you can either look at the screen or flip to it, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, Paul again is using the similar phraseology, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then look, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And so again, God's faithfulness is explicitly linked with eternal security. He's going to sanctify you not halfway and leave you. He's going to sanctify you completely. You're going to be blameless when Jesus returns. This is because God sovereignly called you to himself and he is faithful. He will surely make sure that you endure to the end. So again, just look for that, especially in Paul. The faithfulness of God is often linked to the fact that God's never going to let go of us. He's not going to give up on us. He's not going to uh, become frustrated and let us go. He's going to hold on and, and help us to persevere uh, to the end. Thoughts on that text? I was reminded of that no temptation has overtaken you mm. um, that is not common to man. Once again, your phrase there, yep. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted above, uh, beyond your ability, but with that temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there again, to endure to the end in the 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Yes, that's another example that Schreiner talked about. It's a great point. Jude chapter, oh, Jude's just one chapter, but Jude chapter one, uh, verse one, a couple of verses here that are really sweet on this topic. 
uh, the very first verse, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are, and you got called again, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Obviously, we're not keeping ourselves. This is, we're being kept by God. We're kept for Jesus Christ, and we all know the benediction, or many of us know the benediction, verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before, his, uh, before the presence of his glory in great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So another wonderful, reassuring text that God will keep us or hold on to us to the end. Any thoughts on that particular passage? God's able. I mean, like he has the ability, the power to do it. Um, And verse 1 kind of, it doesn't say it explicitly, but I think it's implicit in this. And the call, like that's his desire, like he wants to. Because, you know, sometimes I can be cynical when I read, like I I have to be careful of this. Um, But it's like, okay, it says he's able, but will he? Well, verse 1 says he will. Right. I mean, there's an intention in verse 1 when it says, if he's called you, you're beloved, you're being kept. Meaning that's an intentional, a willing, like if he's keeping you, it's because he wants to. And so if he wants to, he's going to exercise that power and ability, verse 24, to actually do it. And turn to 1 Peter. I know we're going to a lot of places. 1 Peter chapter 1. And this will give a little preview of the next couple of weeks. Uh, I don't at all, okay, so if someone heard what we said so far, I think it's at least possible someone could misunderstand something, and I don't want this to be misunderstood. We are in no way saying that our being kept is a passive thing, as if we just sort of kick back and put our feet up in the Christian life and let God do all the work. Now, of course, God does the ultimate sovereign work, but this doesn't mean that we are passive in the process. Uh, We are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. So uh, this is in no way passive. In fact, those who say, I'm just going to kick back and let God take care of things, those people, if they stop reading their Bible, stop going to church, stop obeying, well, they're they're, going to show that they're not actually Christians. So this is not a passive thing. This is something where God works through us. He, 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 he transforms us in such a way that we are, uh, we, are, we are maintaining faithfulness. But 1 Peter speaks to this. Another great text, 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, here's irresistible grace. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading and is kept in heaven for you. And then look at this. Who by God's power are being guarded or kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we must continue to trust Christ. And what's the only way we're going to continue to trust Christ? God is the one who gives us the gift of faith, and God continues to guard us through faith. He continues giving us the gift of faith. He makes sure our faith stays strong so that ultimately our faith does not uh, uh, grow weary and wear out. Uh, God continues to strengthen us. So we are being guarded by God through faith, which means we're never going to fall away because God will continue to give us a supply of the faith that we need so that we don't ultimately uh, fall away from him. That's why our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. And so if God has brought us to new birth, he will also bring us to heaven for uh, the, the inheritance there. Any other thoughts on this text? Well, I'm just, is it the, the passage where Peter denies Jesus? Jesus is talking to Peter. Does he say, Simon, Simon, Peter, uh, Satan wished, wished to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you mm-hmm. that your faith may not fail. 
And he says, when you turn, he doesn't say if you turn, he says, when you turn, strengthen the brothers. I mean, that is such an encouraging passage. Like we're going to stumble, we're going to, we're going to fail and, at times and sin, but, but Jesus is interceding for us, that our faith will not ultimately fail. And when we turn, we, we, we encourage, brother, I just think that passage with, with Peter is so encouraging that mm-hmm. it's Jesus the one who's going to keep Peter. Peter's going to fall that night dramatically, but ultimately his faith is not going to fail because Jesus interceded for him. I think that's really key, isn't it? In, in our thinking about this, is to remember the Holy Spirit's interceding for you, and so is the Lord Jesus. And um, we know that because of that, he's, he's, he's going to keep us. Uh, next week, just, just again, another heads up for next week. Uh, Hebrews probably contains some of the most difficult passages for the position that we are arguing for. So Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 is the infamous text that people will sometimes say, argues that you can lose your salvation. Hebrews 10, toward the end of the chapter, people will make a similar argument. Uh, I had a professor in college, and I really wish uh, he hadn't said it this way, but uh, he was an Arminian himself. But he, he's, I, I asked him one time, do you believe in eternal security? And he said, uh, he, he said, when I read John, I say yes. When I read Hebrews, I say no. I thought, that's not a good answer. Because <laughs> uh, that sounds like the Bible contradicts itself. Uh, we already showed you some texts in Hebrew, uh, Hebrews. I think there are even stronger texts in Hebrews that argue for eternal security. So I think Hebrews actually teaches that doctrine. We need to look, we're going to slow down and spend some time on a couple of really difficult texts like Hebrews 6. And if you don't know that text this week, read Hebrews 6 and familiarize yourself with it. Uh, a superficial reading could sound like you're losing your salvation. I don't think that's what the passage is teaching. But we'll talk about some of the hard texts next week. And also, we want to talk about some of the warnings that come on this issue because it's not a doctrine to make us lazy. And again, like I said, those who end up abandoning faith in Christ uh, show that they never truly knew Christ in the first place. And so I think that's going to be a significant thing. So this week is more emphasizing the reassuring aspect of the doctrine. Next week, this may make you say, I, I may skip next Sunday. Next week is dealing with more the warning side of this doctrine. So this is not just easy street. No, there is a warning side to this doctrine. We must persevere. And if we refuse to persevere, we will not be saved. Jesus said those who endure to the end will be saved. And no one else is the implication of that statement. So endurance is a sign of true conversion. And endurance is the mark of God's true people. But those who give up and, and throw in the towel on Jesus and on the gospel, they will not be saved no matter what their past experiences they claim uh, to have had. Any final concluding thoughts here before we pray? Jerry, can you close us? Yes, sir. Gracious Father, what a glorious um, thought today that you, that the Lord Jesus is interceding for us, that the Holy Spirit's interceding for us, that you are for us, um, that you'll never be against us, that you who did not spare your own son but gave him up for us all, we know that now along with him, you are going to graciously give us all things, all things we need for life and godliness, all things we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. All things out, we know will work together for, for our good and for your glory. And so, Lord, what a uh, glorious thought today that you who began that good work in us will carry it on to completion. So um, I pray, Lord, that you would give us great assurance, every one of us who know the Savior. And, uh, and Lord, if someone has false assurance um, not based on your word, I pray today that they would race to you, they would look to Christ, and they would um, know you for eternity as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.